Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, June 9th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book, His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us have been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because... It tends to improve the quality of people's lives when they engage and actively use these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. If you have any of those to share with us, please do so. Give us a call at 563-999-3581. 
when you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll be able to turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. We also appreciate it greatly when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work when people let us know, how's this stuff landing for you? What are you finding most of use in the shows that we present in the support groups? And if you're willing to do that and share with us, we would be grateful. What's happening? How can we support you? We had a support group last night, and we listened to a podcast from the We Can Do Hard Things podcast series and the gentleman talking about creating a practice of listing out, writing out things that delight you, that fill you with joy, that raise your energy level. And it's kind of a a notch above or or a different kind of an approach to a gratitude list. And um and it's it's it got mixed reviews from our our support group people. Some people thought that's a wonderful thing and some people thought, you know, that feels like uh it's shallow, but uh as a poet, Mr. Gray was uh talking about and writing and I think he's got a very good uh, thought process about how it's not shallow at all. It's the core of our being to be connected to others and to share the flow of energy that we call life. And to be able to appreciate that um, is part of the life-giving process itself. And when we cut ourselves off from that or any other flow, um, we stagnate. And so, um, you know, he's building a case for uh, tapping into your delight and your joy as a life-giving process and one that is well worth every bit of effort you might uh, feel that you need to put into it in order to build it into a practice. And, of course, like most things, if you practice it, you'll get better at it. And it'll get easier and easier to focus on those things that are delightful and that feed you energy and that keep you consciously focused on your connection to other people and other things. So that's um, part of what we're doing in our support group last night and... I at times feel like it's uh, a good thing to remind people that we do have these support groups. They're available absolutely free, and they serve a very useful purpose for me. I think they serve a useful purpose for a lot of people that attend. And if you or someone you know is interested in that, all the information you need to join us is available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. MindShiftersAcademy.org. So, we have plenty of time for conversation. 
50 or 52 minutes worth. Um, I have been having a very full week, very blessedly full week with patients and interviews. I have the honor of interviewing two different people this week, three in total, but two people who've had lived experience with addiction issues, mental health issues, severe childhood abuse issues, and they've come out on the other side, and they have varying perspectives to share on the levels of recovery that are needed. And the last individual I interviewed was Duncan McLeod, and he's written a couple books about his lived experience with either psychotic episode or manic ish episodes and and he 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 talks quite a bit about how the the part of recovery from that that most people don't talk about is overcoming the stigma both internally within himself and as it affects his interactions with others or as it affects his employers when they find out that he may have to take an extra day or two for mental health in order to stay balanced and have balance in his life. And um, that's essentially why we do the Journey's Dream podcast. It's part of the Journey's Dream not-for-profit, trying to help raise awareness and actually change the narrative on mental health to one in which optimal health and well-being are possible and expected. So if you want to tap into that, there's 130-some podcasts that have been done over the past three and a half years with um, Journey's Dream and the On Your Mind podcast. It's available at onyourmindpodcast.org or you can type in the onyourmindpodcast.org and it will take you there. They've got a new podcast player. So as far as I can determine, there's not a search function on that, but you can scroll through all of them now. You can also go to YouTube and type in the Journey's Dream or the On Your Mind podcast and tune into that channel. And for all but one or two, you can actually see the the video of the interview and hear the audio as well. So just another uh, free resource for people, and um, please feel free to take advantage of it. So no one puts a hand up. I'm going to return to the... The reading from the essays of the book, or the essay segment of the book, A Walk in the Physical. The next one in the list for me to read is titled The Power of the Present Moment, Essay 103. And this essay reads, The, the present moment is all that there ever is. And as a sidebar, I acknowledge that even my brain when I read that says, well, that's not true because there's the past and there will be the future. And and yet 
what these teachings, whether it's quantum physics or it's spirituality, they're trying to get us to understand that this concept of linear time is just how the world looks to us because of the limitations of our five senses. And I have a bit of a distraction here because when I... I'm reading the book by Thomas Campbell. He talks about a book that was published a lot of years ago. And I think it's called Flatlander. So the idea of the book Flatlander is that it's a it's a dive into what Dr. Michael Rice uses in one of his lectures. I don't know whether it's the old one about Course in Miracles, What is the World, or some other lecture. But he talks about, imagine a world that's only two-dimensional. There's no depth, there's just length and width. There's left and right. Now, to imagine this, you would have to imagine a sheet of paper, an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper, a single sheet of paper. And if you drew a stick figure on that sheet of paper and you imagined that this person, it was an actual person there, and if they had sight, they could only see what's on the sheet of paper right in front of them or right behind them. Left, right, there's no up and down. So the Flatlander book is this thought experiment about how can you relate to somebody, how can you describe to somebody something like in Dr. Michael Rice's lecture, he talks about what would that that two-dimensional person have as an experience of a basketball. If you were trying to explain what a basketball is and explain the game of basketball to that person, you would have an impossible task. Because if you introduced a basketball into that person's world, as it passed through, it would be like slicing the basketball horizontally. And as that basketball was passing through their plane of existence, it would begin and look like just a dot or a very short line, and then it would get wider and wider and wider until it reached the diameter of the basketball. And if the basketball kept passing through their plane of existence, it would get shorter and shorter and shorter until it disappeared. So the person who's only two-dimensional would have an experience of the ball as a dot turning into a line, turning into a little bit longer line, a little bit longer line, a little bit longer line, until the line started getting smaller and smaller and smaller and was a dot and then disappeared. Each individual discrete moment 
just that one-dimensional or that two-dimensional experience. There'd be no depth. It's not possible for a two-dimensional person to hold the concept of a sphere because they've never had anything like it. They've never experienced anything like it. So here we are in a body, and we have this experience of time as past and present and future, and so we can't conceive of a place where time exists or things exist outside of time. So right here, just trying to read this essay, The Power of the Present Moment, most of us have difficulty with the present moment as a concept because we're so focused on the past and the future. Worries about the future, regrets about the past, etc. And we've been trained to think and focus that way. I love this woman, what's her name, Boroditsky. She gives some YouTube lectures on language and how language actually shapes our perception. And she talks about uh, a native group of people, an indigenous group of people, who they, they describe everything in terms of the four directions. And, of course, the four directions can then be broken up into eight or 12. So you've got north, south, east, and west, but then you've got northeast and north, northeast, and southeast and south, southeast, etc., and east, southeast. So in their language, when they talk about things, everything is in reference to the directions. So they don't talk about their left foot and their right foot. They talk about their foot that's to the east of their center line or to the west of their center line or to the north. And so these people, because of their language and because of how they've been trained to orient themselves in the world, they're never lost. And they're never at loss for a sense of direction. It's woven into everything they think and say. So she's talking to the audience and saying how many people can point, you know, to south southeast right now in the middle of this auditorium. And some people can and lots of people can't. And lots of people get turned around in directions. She said if you were if you were raised in this tribe, you would not have that problem. You would always know where everything is relative to you based on north, south, east and west. Where are you going? I'm going north, northeast. So the way we are trained in this culture is to think about the future, what's coming, do you have your to-do list, do you have your schedule, do you have your day timer, do you have your alarm set, you don't want to be late for anything. I mean, most of us of a certain age have had experience with people from other cultures where they simply don't function in the same time frame. And if you set an appointment with somebody in another culture for you know, 3.15 in the afternoon. In the first place, they'd never agree to meet you at 3.15 in the afternoon. They'd say, okay, well, I'll see you around 3. And they may show up at 2, they may show up at 5. That's just the way those cultures are. They have a completely different relationship to this thing we call time. So we have been trained away from appreciating or even being aware of the present moment. And this essay starts out 
the title of it is The Power of the Present Moment. Well, of course, you could develop some conspiracy theories about, you know, our cultures trained us away from the power of the present moment because they're trying to disempower us, etc. But I don't, I don't think there's any value in that. I think the value just comes in recognizing what is it that I have been missing and what can I introduce myself to? What kind of a practice can I develop for myself to be more mindful of the presence moment? So this essay again reads, the present moment is all that there is, all that there ever is. It says, the now, in quotes, this moment, exists beyond the mind. It is not an idea of the mind. The now is your alert presence in the current moment. It is the silent witness that beholds and experiences all of the form. By that they mean all of the thoughts, all of the feelings, all of the objects, including your body, and all of the dynamics that you call contexts. The ideas of the mind can be temporarily experienced in the now, but the now is not the ideas and is not the ideas about the now. This is what Krishnamurti would bring us to over and over and over again by saying, the word is not the thing. Your ideas about yourself are not who you really are. Your ideas about another person are not who they really are. Krishnamurti would call us to believe that when you label somebody and you say you think you know them and you judge them, you're actually doing a violent act by discounting everything that they are and boiling them down in your mind or in your language to a word or a phrase or even an entire book full of statements about a person that doesn't even begin. That's not even one snowflake on the giant iceberg of who that person is. But the idea here is the ideas about the now are not the now. The now supersedes all ideas. You do not need to live your life lost in the dream that is the ideas of the mind in thoughts about the past or thoughts about the future. You do not need to surrender yourself to anxieties about the past or future. These anxieties also can only exist as they are recalled into the present moment. Your fear doesn't exist and is not being experienced by anyone or anything in the universe except you. Your thoughts of anger and rage don't exist anywhere but inside your own mind. Your experience of grief only exists within your own mind. It goes for every emotion you experience. It's not happening to you. It's a 
dynamic of the creation of where you apply your mind energy in each new present moment and what may have been well practiced and conditioned into you over time and what may have been lodged in your system as uh, what we would call traumatic energy that's getting resonated by the interpretation you're placing on this moment's life events or how you're sitting here in this moment creating thoughts about the past or the future and pouring your mind energy into it and focusing on things that don't even exist in this present moment except in your own internal experience. So to come back to the essay, it says, your power is always in the now. It does not exist in the past or in the future. It is always right now. While you may have established great momentum in your life that may seem to bind you into a given circumstance or idea set, you are never, not ever, completely bound to the cumulative impacts of your past because you always have the power in the now. Right now, you have the power to change your momentum toward the direction that you choose. That's one of the main teachings of Abraham, Abraham Hicks. When you have negative thoughts and emotions going and they feel very intense, it's only always and forever because you have poured your mind energy into them and it's got a lot of emotion, of uh, momentum right now. So interrupt that momentum. Take a break. Shift your thoughts. Take a nap. Go for a walk. Do some breathing. Interrupt the momentum. And when it slows enough, you can choose to turn it into a different direction. This essay goes on and says, that direction can always be toward brighter expectations for the future, new personal beliefs that are more positive, greater awareness of your personal power and freedom, greater acceptance of the love that exists in, through, as, and around you and for you, and increased prioritization of serving others over the self or any other direction that you choose. For as your consciousness moves in the present moment, so will your body and even your reality itself also be moved. Even if the effects may not always be immediately apparent, please make no mistake that how you choose to use the present moment is always causing change. That which happens in consciousness space in the now always has an effect, even if you cannot see it or understand it. So here's an invitation. Ask yourself, what momentum are you creating for yourself and your world today? If you're ready to do so, identify just one thing that has your attention and choose to approach it with love rather than fear. Even doing so with just one choice begins to move the momentum of your life in the direction of true freedom. Now, as I'm reading that last part of that paragraph, I'm thinking this is what we listened to last night in the support group 
from the podcast We Can Do Hard Things about choosing a delight practice, choosing to list things that delight you, that light you up, that bring you joy, that bring you alive, and describe them, focus on them, bring up that energy of delight, let yourself chuckle about it, laugh about it, scream about it, cry tears of joy about it, feel the energy of life, of aliveness, of creativity, of creation, of growth, vibrating through you. One of the other podcasts I listened to from that same, another episode of the same podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, they were talking about a breath practice they do that they've been introduced to, two or three of them have been introduced to, where as they start the breath practice, having their hands tighten up and form a claw shape and create, create this tension is, is one of the common responses. And it isn't painful, but it is noticeable. And another common response in the breath work is people just start laughing hysterically and uncontrollably. It's this energy flowing, the energy of life, the energy of creation, the energy of love, whatever you want to call it. You have the capacity to shift the focus of your mind energy into a new direction. Every present moment, each new present moment. And even doing so with just one choice begins to move the momentum of your life in a new direction, in whatever direction you choose. And they're recommending here the direction of true freedom. So whether you're going to choose a delight practice and write about it and get your energy moving in a more positive direction that way or you're going to use this approach of just figuring out in this moment what am I pouring my mind energy into and how can I shift the focus of that specific mind energy in this moment to something more positive, redirect the direction of my creative force that we call mind energy in this very moment. This is why you know, the 12-step programs talk about just one day at a time. And literally, actually, for a lot of people who make use of programs like that, it's one day at a time, it's one morning at a time, it's one hour at a time, it's one 10-minute segment at a time, it's one minute at a time. I'm going to choose in this moment, fill in the blank, something more positive, something more loving, something more creative, something more gratitude-based. The next essay is number 104. It's titled, Using the Giant Mirror of Earth. The essay reads, 
the world is reflecting back to you the nature of your deepest beliefs. The physical universe is like a giant mirror provided to give you the opportunity to actually experience your beliefs, perceptions, and assumptions. Now, if you don't understand quantum mechanics, quantum physics, if you don't understand the deep spiritual teachings, this sounds like gibberish. I know a lot of people who, if they run into a a paragraph like that, a statement like that, they think, oh yeah, this is that woo-woo stuff. And yet there is very solid, what they call hard science research, that indicates whether we realize it or not, we see what we want to see and we hear what we want to hear. We are constantly bending our interpretation of life. This is why we ever have any arguments with anybody. Everybody's doing the best they can in each moment with whatever resources they have, and some people think the best they can do is start a fight or steal your wallet or you know, start a war or start a violent uh, outburst in the middle of a peaceful protest. And they think in that moment that's the best thing. Their perception, their beliefs, their history in their life is leading them to say, out of all the things I could be doing, this is the best thing for me to do right now. Everybody's doing this. If you need confirmation about this, if you need to go a little further, you can go to YouTube and type in the two words, Anil Seth, A-N-I-L is the gentleman's first name. S-E-T-H is the second name, the last name. If you type in Anil Seth and you don't get right away, then type in perception or hallucinating perception and you'll have access to several video lectures by this researcher who's researching the nature of perception. How do we create the images and pictures and understanding of the world that our minds create? And it's important to study that because if we have 17 people watching the same event, you might easily get 10 to 17 different interpretations of what happened in that event. So the physical universe is like a giant mirror provided to you to give you the opportunity to actually experience your beliefs, your perceptions, and your assumptions. James Allen wrote the book, As a Man Thinketh. It's all about this. It is the power of the creative force of your mind energy, your thoughts. And that's back in the late 18, early 1900s that these teachings were getting reintroduced to humanity and becoming popular. Think and Grow Rich is a book that's loaded with the wisdom of some of the most successful, at least materially successful, successful in the physical world, people of that time. And it talks about their own unique individual take on 
how their mind energy is a creative force and how they've chosen to apply it in their lives to achieve whatever they've achieved. The essay, come back to the essay, Tim. Okay, I will. It says, the physical world is not bad. It is a firm but neutral set of constraints engaged by consciousness for the purposes of self-realization and experience integration. So here again we have the concept that's in the way of mastery. The ninth lesson is titled, All Events Are Neutral. That's exactly what this paragraph is starting out with in the second paragraph of Essay 104 from the book, A Walk in the Physical. The physical world is not bad. It is a firm but neutral set of constraints engaged by consciousness. You are consciousness. Everyone that you know is consciousness. It's engaged by consciousness for the purposes of self-realization and experience integration. At this level, we only learn through experience. And we only truly learn when we've integrated these experiences. We understand them as self-generated. We break out of the cycle of blaming things and others around us for what we experience. That's how we learn. The essay goes on and says, the quality of your experience then contains precious clues as to whether or not you are utilizing that experience in a way that is in alignment with the more fundamental truth of love or not. So if your life is feeling more joyful, more expansive, more compassionate, more loving, then you're probably using this set of experiences and constraints in a way to validate the truth of your nature. If you're not feeling that, it means you're not expressing, experiencing, rather, you're not experiencing the truth of your existence, you're experiencing what Michael Rice would call errors in thought misinterpretations, focus on a myopic miniature piece of the big picture and then drawing negative conclusions from that. The essay goes on and says, how does your experience feel? What is life like for you? Where you feel negative emotions or fear, see if you can discover what negative self-perceptions or beliefs you have bought into. When consciousness has brought into self-perception or a perception about the world that is not in alignment with truth, then negative emotions result. When consciousness has bought into self-perception or a perception about the world that is not in alignment with the capital T truth that is when negative emotions are generated so it asks the question do you feel do you perceive yourself as and then feel yourself as powerless 
do you perceive yourself as and then feel yourself to be unlovable, harmable, or trapped? While these experiences are quite real because you're generating them inside yourself like you are every other experience, ultimately they are not fundamentally true or real. They aren't your true nature or essence. They won't last forever. You won't continue to create the pain, the fear, the sadness, the suffering, the grief, the loss, the confusion. You will eventually awaken to your true nature. That's part of the message of this set of teachings. Fundamentally, the truth of you is that you are powerful, You are loved, loving, and lovable forever, to quote the way of mastery. You you come from love. You're made of love. You are love, and everything else is false. You are immortal. You were never born. Your essence was never born and will never die. And you're fundamentally free. Now, Michael Rice would point out there's no freedom here in the physical realm. There's liberty. There's liberty to make a choice and act in a certain way, and yet what most people consider to be freedom, I'm free to do whatever I want, there won't be any consequences, there will always be consequences. So you're free to choose, and you can't get away from the consequences of your choice. So Michael Rice likes to use the word liberty rather than freedom. You are at liberty to choose again. You are fundamentally powerful. This is the absolute truth of you as consciousness. You are never born and you will never taste death. You are immortal and you are free. The Way of Mastery has a piece on this in the fourth lesson where it says, if somebody asks you who you are, don't give them a label. Don't tell you tell them what you've been conditioned to think about. This is your name and this is your political affiliation and you live here and, and this is your profession. It says, tell them the truth. Tell them, I've never been born and I'll never never die. I, I'm infinite and eternal. I'm, I, I shine forth as the sunbeam to the sun. I am the effect of the love of the Creator. I'm, I'm the extension of love in form. And I stand before you to extend that love to you, to help you see your true loving nature. That is your essence. That's the truth they're trying to point at here with all of these words. And then the essay goes on and says, but we buy into negative perceptions because we feel the evidence vouches for them. We have these experiences in the physical realm. And we have these experiences because we've been trained in this language, trained to observe certain things and ignore others, trained to value certain things above other things. Essay goes on and says, our conclusions about reality become assumptions about reality and they become visible. Our conclusions about ourselves become assumptions about ourselves and they become invisible. I misread that first part. So our conclusions about reality become assumptions about reality and then they become invisible. Just like our conclusions about ourselves become assumptions about ourselves and then they become invisible. But the mirror keeps reflecting the appropriate experience of those assumptions back to us. Our experience remains a faithful gauge 
of the assumptions and beliefs that we are holding on to. How can you tell that something is working or not? How can you tell whether somebody's on the correct spiritual path for them or not? Look at the fruits. Look at what they get in their life. Look at whether or not they have contentment, joy, abundance, compassion, delight. Whatever experiences I hold on to, whatever assumptions I hold on to, become the ref- I start to get a reflection of my beliefs and assumptions in my experiences. So our experience remains a faithful gauge of the assumptions and beliefs we're holding on to. How can you tell what you've been pouring your mind energy into for the past 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Take a look at what you have in your life today. If you have a lot of sadness and bitterness and hurt and confusion and contention and judgment, it's because that's what you've been pouring your mind energy into. If you have a lot of loving connection with yourself and the world around you and you've got solid relationships and you've got joy and you've got compassion and you've got this feeling of aliveness and vitality, it's because that's what you've been pouring your mind energy into. The last two paragraphs in this essay are reading, your negative emotions can serve as guideposts to rediscover your assumptions. Seek it out. Question for yourself. Why do I feel the way that I do? What belief must I be holding on to to keep generating these negative thoughts? When you find the belief that is giving rise to your feeling, do not assume it to be true. Question it. Use the discovery to help direct you towards the fear itself. Without the story of the belief, the fear itself. Guy Finley has a little poem he uses for this. He says, the feel is real. The feel of fear is real. The feel is real, but the why is a lie. You're never upset for the reason you think you are. Wisdom from a number of different sources, including Way of Mastery and Course in Miracles. Use the discovery of this belief to direct you to what you are afraid of. And look at the fear. Face it fully. Feel it. Breathe into it without the belief around it, without buying into the belief. Use the discovery to help direct you to the fear that you were or that you are too afraid to face and feel. And then ask yourself, what am I afraid of? Sit with the feeling, no matter how strong it is. Keep your breath moving. If you know some breathing technique in particular, use it. If you know EFT tapping, use it. Be with the feeling, no matter how strong it is. You can face your fears. You will not be destroyed. You will be safe. You are safe. Your perfect safety was assured in the moment of your beginning. And there was never a time when your consciousness was not. So you have always been 
perfectly safe. It is perfectly safe for you to feel all of your feelings and let them move through you and breathe and feel them fully. The last paragraph reads, In fact, you might be set free. For underneath all of the pain, confusion, and hardship, the true and ever-present nature of spirit always is, always is, and is one of complete love, complete joy, and complete freedom. Your bedrock, your fundamental essential nature is one of love, joy, and freedom. It is always down there within you, beneath all the negative beliefs that you assume the physical world has proven to you. So, where you don't feel love, joy, and freedom, allow the world to show back to you what you believe about yourself and the world that's causing you to no longer know the truth of yourself as love, joy, and freedom. That process of self-discovery bravery and feeling is exactly what the physical universe is meant for and since the universe was built for that it wants you to succeed and it will work with you whenever you are ready underneath all of your negative emotions underneath all of your negative beliefs about the world and yourself you have a core self, a true self that is, its essence is love and strength and courage and freedom and complete safety. I have mentioned the book about internal family systems. The book title is You Are the One You've Been Waiting For. And Dick Schwartz in that theory says, we are able to work with our wounded parts, whether they are ultra-traumatized or even moderately traumatized, we can work with them. Who's we? Our core. He uses the same knowledge that at your core there is an essence of you that is compassionate and calm and centered, and he's got a bunch of C words that words will start with the letter C, to describe these positive attributes. Because people ask, well, how can I tell if this thought or this reaction is coming from my core? And he says, here's how. When you feel calm, compassionate, centered, I'm trying to search for them as I list some of them. Confidence, calmness, creativity, clarity, curiosity, courage, compassion, and connectedness. Eight words that begin with the letter C to help describe the signposts you need to know if you're coming from your core, from your true self, your center. 
if it doesn't feel confident, calm, creative, clear, curious, courageous, compassionate, and connected, it's not your source. It's not your core. And if you get grounded, rooted, centered in your core, you can bring those qualities to any wounded part of you and help them see that they are misinterpreting They're misinterpreting life. They're misinterpreting their value. They're misinterpreting their true nature. They're misinterpreting the meaning of what's happened to them. And they're throwing a negative interpretation on it, and they're generating the discomfort that they're feeling, that you're feeling as a part of them, that they're feeling as a part of you. But again, this wisdom about what your true nature is is not just limited to books like this deep, effective therapists like Richard Schwartz and the internal family systems model use the same observation that the true nature of every human being at its core exudes confidence, calmness, creativity, clarity, curiosity, courage, compassion, and connectedness. So, that's all I'm going to read from that book today. We have um, five or six minutes left for comments, questions, answers, soliloquies, suggestions of fun activities for the weekend, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1. Let us know how this is landing for you or any kind of question you might have. We'll be back again next week for a full week of lovely interactions about this and other things, including our support groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So... We do not have the luxury of ending early as we have to hold the space for Michael and Jeannie. So if you have a comment or question, let us know. Otherwise, I think um, I'll invite us all to remember, if we haven't done so already, write a letter and submit it, a letter of resignation from the job of being your own worst enemy. And... um, Do what you can to be gentle with yourself. Do what you can to at least question, is it possible that all of these things at my core are true about me? That if I'm not feeling that in a certain moment, it's because there are false beliefs, traumatic energies, misinterpreted events that are that I'm somehow, some part of me anyway, is holding on to and blocking 
my ability to see my true nature. And my true nature will always be exuding confidence and clarity and compassion and creativity, calm and connection, awareness of connection to all things, childlike curiosity and courage. And if I'm experiencing anything other than that, I'm experiencing the garbage or what the ancient texts would have called the bushel baskets that have been laid on top of my true nature that are simply blocking me from seeing what's always there to be seen. And our invitation with this work is at least step into questioning, is it possible? And if you're really you know, willing to take the next step, pick up the tools. Actually apply the tool every time you create a negative emotion. Figure out what you're doing with your thoughts to create that emotion. Figure out this specific dynamic in, in the world in front of you that you're focusing on and what you're making it mean. Figure out what goal your mind has decided needs to hold on to to try and make happen so that you can have relief. And then take a few breaths and focus on loving thoughts and relax into it. And then cancel everything your mind is telling you. Cancel everything you think you want. Of course, in Miracles would say, your trifling treasures put away. And leave a clean and open space Course in Miracles would say for the Christ mind to come. In this work, we'd say to be shown what the hidden part of your mind can't show you itself. So, again, our gratitude to everybody who's taken this ride with us and been here this hour. Michael and Jeannie ought to be here for the second hour. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, the energy of creation expressing in form, and everything else is false. And hopefully in the next few minutes to moments, Jeannie Rice will be on. I will... Want monitor the switchboard while I hang up to leave a space for them to come on and we'll talk to you and have a wonderful weekend we're still here holding the space for Michael and Jeannie I've now hung up as the host and called in as a participant and I'll welcome Jeannie Rice who just showed up on the board and turn on her microphone. I'm getting my earpiece in my ear. Fair warning. <laughs> I don't even have it on, on on the computer yet, but I'm getting there. Thank you. You're welcome and deserving. You have a wonderful show. Thanks. Appreciate you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. And today is Friday, June the 9th, 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581 and press 1 and that puts you into queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show and I finally have the switchboard on 
Taking me a minute. We have been, we've been working out in the uh, flower garden again, planting more plants. So I actually stopped yesterday with the intent to get vegetables, and I brought seven more flowered plants home. So um, we will get around to planting more in the vegetable garden eventually, but this is coming along really well. If you're on Facebook, you can see our pictures, and uh, we're real thrilled with it, the way it's turning out. So while I'm waiting on Michael to dial in, I will go ahead and start reading again from The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And so we were talking yesterday, we were reading about the energy being blocked or you being open and letting the energy flow and that it is an infinite energy. It's always there. So we'll continue reading. The only thing that you have to know is that opening allows energy in and closing blocks it out. Now you have to decide whether or not you want this energy. How high do you want to want how high do you want to get? How much love do you want to feel? How much enthusiasm do you want to have for the things that you do? If enjoying a full life means experiencing high energy, love and enthusiasm all the time, then don't ever close. You know, Yeshua, um, this isn't in the book. I just thought I'd add this. So Yeshua, also known as Jesus, said that he came to bring life more abundantly, to have a full life. That's what the intent of us being, you know, when we're born, we are the essence of love. It's just who we are, not something we do. And we are supposed to experience that all the time, but we grow up and somewhere along the way, we don't think that just being love is enough. And so we start trying to do or be something else to be approved of and we confuse approval for love. And so what we end up doing is closing off the part of us that is really the love, the flow, and just pretending to be something else or a false self. So there is a very simple method for staying open. Stay open by never closing. It's really that simple. All you have to do is decide whether you are willing to stay open or whether you think it's worth closing. You can actually train yourself to forget how to close. Closing is a habit. And just like any other habit, it can be broken. For example... You could be the type of person who has an underlying fear of people and tends to close when you first meet them. You could actually be in the habit of experiencing an upright, closing sensation whenever somebody walks up to you. You can train yourself to do the opposite. You can train yourself to open every time you see a person. It's just a question of whether you want to close or whether you want to open. It's ultimately all under your control. The problem is we don't exercise that control. Under normal circumstances, our state of openness is left to to psychological factors. Basically, we are programmed to open or close based upon our past experiences. 
Impressions from the past are still inside of us, and they get stimulated by different events. If they were negative impressions, we tend to close. If they were positive impressions, we tend to open. Let's say that you smell a certain scent, and that reminds you of what it was like when you were young and somebody was cooking dinner. How you react to this scent depends upon the impressions left by your past experience. Did you enjoy having dinner with the family? Was the food good? If so, then the smell of that scent warms you and opens you. If it wasn't so much fun eating together or if you had to eat food you didn't like, then you tighten up and close. It really is that sensitive. A smell can make you open or close, and so can seeing a car of a certain color or even the type of shoes a person's wearing. We are programmed based upon our past impressions such that all kinds of things can cause us to open and close. Tension, you'll see it happen regularly throughout each day. And I'm just going to stop there for a second and share. You know, um, I went through when I was 16 to 19 years old. I was married and he was physically abusive. And so I would what we call disassociate. It's like totally leaving your body, hanging up around the ceiling somewhere. So physically I wouldn't have to feel the full impact of what was going on. Well, fast forward 50 years, um, Michael and I are sitting at dinner one day and he says, a penny for your thoughts. And I look at him and it's like I had no thoughts. I was just blank, but I wasn't there. And so what we started looking at is what just happened without trying to, you know, figure out the thought behind it or the emotion behind it or whatever. What just happened in the room that triggered my need to leave? Physically, I was still sitting there, but it was like I was gone. And so we got to looking, you know, is it the, the lights changed? Was it, did a certain music start? Did a certain person walk by and their build maybe was the trigger of my former spouse? You know, what was it? There was something that happened that triggered me into that immediate, I've got to leave to protect myself to survive. And so once you can become aware of what triggers you, into, you know, as they're talking in this, into the the negative energy or closing down, then you can start working on, okay, what was behind that? What was the thought? What was the remembrance? You know, and so kind of working at it backwards, like instead of just trying to, to figure out where the thought was at that moment. And so that's kind of what he's talking about here is that, you know, it's under your control and you can break that habit you know, instead of leaving, make the commitment to stay, to open your eyes and be present in the moment instead of getting lost in whatever the trigger or the experience was and the and the memory that trips you into closing instead of staying open. So the problem is we don't exercise that control. Under normal circumstances, our state of open... Oh, I read that. Um... So if you pay attention, you will see a hap- see it happen regularly throughout each day. But you should never leave something as important as your energy flow to chance. 
If you like energy, and you do, then don't ever close. The more you learn to stay open, the more the energy can flow into you and through you. You practice opening by not closing. Anytime you start to close, ask yourself whether you really want to cut off the energy flow. Because if you want, you can learn to stay open no matter what happens in the world. Make a commitment to explore your capacity for receiving unlimited energy. You simply decide not to close. At first it feels unnatural since your innate tendency is to close as a means of protection. But closing your heart does not really protect you from anything. It just cuts you off from your source of energy. And in the end, it only serves to lock you inside. I'm going to stop there and welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart, and welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here, that we get to play this game of healing and this, uh, extend this conversation about uh, understanding the subtleties of the process of healing and bringing it home. As I was listening to your reading, Jeannie, one of the things that uh, that came to mind is how important words are because they mean anything, but because they are representatives of frequencies. Words that are sourced from frequencies based in hostility or fear are destructive to human tissue. Words that are sourced from the presence of love are constructive to tissue. And if you go back 2,000 years ago, you hear this man, Yeshua, he puts a pretty pretty heavy-duty emphasis on words. He says, in your words, is the power of life and death. And one of the words that gets bantered around in this culture in totally and completely errant ways all the time, virtually everywhere, and and I would say even in, like for instance, in something like The Course in Miracles, the word is bantered around. I mean, they, they're really clear. There's a definition. Teach only love for that is what you are. But then there are other places in the Course that talk about loving someone as this culture banters that word around, like love is something I can get from somebody else, love is something I can give to somebody else, love is something I'm deprived of by somebody else. And I've had many conversations about this word with many people who go into resistance and, no, it doesn't matter, you know, well, you can use it loosely and who cares, what, so what, I'm going to use it this way. Well, you know, of course, everybody's got the right to do what everybody want to do. But putting in context the purpose of the human mind and its relationships with words Yes, was really right. The power of life and death is in our words, and the misuse of words can engage us in frequencies that literally 
can kill us. When you realize how the human mind works and what its purpose is, my offering is that the, the best definition I've found for the human mind and its, its function, that it is designed to survey on command, and the command is given by words, all of the data that it has that relates to a particular result you want to produce. Actually, the original introduction to this work 50-whatever years ago was a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by a guy named Dr. Maxwell Maltz. That was my opening to this work. That's what introduced me to this type of thinking. And Maltz was right on with it. Basically, he said, psycho-cybernetics, that the mind is a cybernetic machine, which means it goes looking for how to produce a result. And that's all it does. You know, he was a surgeon. And the way he came to these conclusions, it's been 50 years since I've read the book, but I think my recall on it's fairly good. Basically, he'd do surgery on someone, and if he was not able to help that person to change the words in their minds about themselves, surgery did no good in terms of people who had surgery for self-image. Of course, if it was an injury, that was something different. A lot of people... You know, plastic surgery is, oh, I need to, my nose doesn't look right. Well, if my nose doesn't look like, right, what, what words am I using to hold that belief? And what does that do to my mind? And he'd have two people, each with, let's say, the same complaint, of, say, let's say, about their face. And one person he would not be able to get them to change their mind about the words they were using about their face. And he could do surgery and, and you know, it didn't benefit them. It, it, it didn't produce the result that they want, even though it was the identical result to the person who, when they were able to change their minds and their thinking about their faces, loved the result and were delighted. Oh, look at what you did. You fixed my face. Now I'm fixed. Two people. Same complaint, same surgery, different result according to their thinking, tend to think in words. Cybernetic machine means it heads for and works to achieve a goal. When you give your mind a goal, not an intention, but a goal, then and a goal means an, an objective or a result that you're committed to achieving, then your mind will file through, sort through all of the information it has about that, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and according to what resonates the strongest out of that content, your mind will build you a construct that is designed to guide you in producing that result. So let's say I'm putting and there are three cups on the green and I'm told that if I putt 
the ball into the center cup, I'll get a $500 reward. If I put it into either of the other cups, I'll get nothing. Now, if my understanding of the word center is incorrect, let's say that I had a crazy history and my parents taught me that center meant that hole over there on the left. Just using this as a metaphor, an example. So when this person tells me, if you want to win the $500, you put the ball into the center hole, and I go, okay. My mind says, okay, so there are three holes there. The one over on the left is the center, and I'm going to putt. Now, of course, that's an error in, in the instruction, but just for our example's sake, if that's what one thinks, then the mind does whatever it needs to do to produce that result. And every time that ball goes in that hole over there on the left, the person misses the opportunity to win $500. If you hold a newborn child, you know, if you've ever had that opportunity, I'll invite you to go back mentally and visit that moment where you held a newborn. And if you haven't ever held a newborn, then I invite you to share with my experience of holding a newborn, which I'll share with you. When my daughter was being born, she delivered into my hands. Now, they tell us that a child can't focus their eyes or really see for the first several days. wasn't true with my daughter. My hands were on her head. Her eyes opened, and she looked as crisp and clear as anybody could look at anybody right in my face. And that look put me into that, the energy of that put me into a space that is one of the most powerful and indescribable spiritual experiences of my life. So I invite you to hold a newborn, tap into the essence of the newborn. Most of you have heard me do this before. And put the essence of that child into a single word. This is a question, Gene, I've asked of tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe. And every time, it doesn't matter whether we're in Rome, Italy, or we're in Sweden, or we're in Canada, or we're here in any one of the 50 states, when we ask that question, everybody's answer is always some variation on the theme of love. It's purity, it's sweetness, it's power. And so if that fits for you, then tapping into the essence of that newborn, that newborn is love. Now, I ask an additional question, and that is, so now that you've established the newborn is love, is the newborn loving you, or is the newborn love? And most people, when we ask that question, kind of cock their heads and go, well, you know, obviously the newborn doesn't even know I'm here. The newborn is love. So I'd offer that you and I and every one of us came into the world in exactly the same way, as the active presence of love. Now, cultures on the earth today, many of them, most of them as far as I know, have a specialty. And their specialty, 
as much as they say they love their children, misuse of the word notice, misuse of the word love, because you can't love your children. You don't love your children. Your children don't love me, you. You've never loved anybody. You're never going to love anybody. I don't love you, and you don't love me. That's all a fraud. That's all the misuse of the word. That's like saying, I'm going to putt and win the $500 by putting the ball in the hole over there on the left that I call center. Every time I hit that hole, because I have an incorrect definition of the word, I miss the mark. I miss the goal. So the child is, we are the fact of love. Course in Miracles. Teach only love for that is what you are. We have a cultures that specialize in beating that experience out of us. Mentally, emotionally, and sadly, all too often physically. When people lose contact with themselves as love, they then grow and they experience people who withhold love from them. Now, they're not really withholding love, what they're withholding. Think about the person who's, or if you've ever done this, you've withheld love from someone. What did you do? What you really did is you withheld approval. It was a misnomer. It was like calling that hole over there on the left of the, the budding green the center hole to call approval love. But what was withdrawn was approval. It wasn't love. When people lose their identity as love, and then they're sent out the door to go find somebody to love them. Matter of fact, you might remember that song title. Don't you want somebody to love? Don't you need somebody to love? Wouldn't you love somebody to love? You'd better find somebody to love. So now what happens? We're now looking at the hole on the left lining up our putt to try to sink it to get the, goal, the, the result. And so people give their minds a goal, and that is find somebody to approve of me and we'll make that about love, and then we'll think we've achieved the goal. And in doing so, by the activity of the human mind, we lose our human lives. We lose the awareness of ourselves as love, and we lose the ability to function out of the truth of who we are. That's how important the definition of the word is. I think it was Plato that said, let me define the words and I'll end the argument. Now, I've had people say, well, you know, we could just make it both. So it's who I am and it's what I do. Well, you could do that, but that would be like saying the hole over there on the left on the putting green is... is uh, is the center hole. You can call it that, but calling something what it isn't doesn't make it what you want it to be. The cybernetic device, your mind, will only achieve supporting you functioning as, experiencing yourself as, expressing as love when you give it a correct definition of the word. There are all kinds of definitions, you know, there are people, I mean, how many of us heard this line? I'm only beating you, I'm only punishing you because I love you. What a crock of crap. 
How many of us heard that line? I beg your pardon? Love punishes? Surely you are insane if you think that's true. But that's one of the goals of the culture. That's part of the language of the culture. And if we get trapped in improper language, we get trapped in improper behavior, and we block ourselves from reaching the goal. My offering is not that you should love somebody. I would offer that what you really mean when you talk about wanting to love somebody is you want to cherish them, you want to honor them, maybe even approve of them, but it isn't love. The real goal, if you want real relationship, is to experience yourself as the active presence of love and support your partner in doing the same and your partner supports you in doing the same, now you've got a true healing relationship. But if it's got to be approval, you'll notice that the moment somebody violates you, the, the person that you say, I love you so much, what you really mean is I approve you because you, you fulfill all my goals for you, notice the moment that they stop fulfilling your goals, what happens? I mean, we've seen it a million times. Love turns to hate. Quote, unquote, love. Approval turns to disapproval. A la power person dynamics. And people unload all of the power person dynamics they have on their partner whenever that partner stops fulfilling the goals they hold for them. When... We get, when we correct the mind's definition of the word, okay, so love describes the state of being that is my created essence, and when I give my mind goals to produce that result, my behaviors are going to change totally and completely then if I believe that, if I, and, and you know, Jeannie had talked about this earlier, if, if I'm, you know, who do you want me? I know that I'm not worthy of relationships, so who do you want me to be? Okay, if I do that, 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 then you'll love me? Okay, I'll do it. And, and notice when somebody said, you know, well, it's because you're doing this, so change that. And you say, if, you mean if I change that behavior, you'll love me? All right, I'll change it. And, and you did change it, right? Did they, quote, unquote, stop disapproving of you? <laughs> no, there was another goal and another goal and another goal and another goal. And every time you violated one of those goals, notice that disapproval stepped into place. And those who've been massively disapproved of only know how when under stress to step into disapproval of others because under the most extreme stress, people always do what their power person did to them that they hated the most. Rewiring the definitions of the mind to words that correctly represent what you're trying to achieve is a really important step in aligning your life with the truth of who you are and supporting you in bringing the truth of who you are into the world.
So in terms of having conversation about how much love you want to give? No. How committed are you to functioning as conscious, active, present love? You know, if you've been at my intensives 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you know, remember the phrase comes up all the time, conscious, active, present love. That describes the state of a human being. Otherwise, you become a human doing. What do I have to do to get your love? Which means, what do I have to do to get your approval? And even after you get the approval, <clears throat> love is not the experience. Oh, it can feel good to be approved of because if you were brought up with a power person who did a lot of disapproval and you stepped out of line, boy, the, the, the barbs, the shots, the physical, mental, emotional abuse was horrendous. We need to give the mind goals that are in alignment with the truth of who we are if we want to express and experience the truth of who we are and we want to experience the truth of others. Key piece is the use of words. And of course, there's the dual journey for producing that result. One side is on a daily basis, I mean every day, more than once a day, devote time to cultivating your relationship with yourself as love, to realizing who you are as love, and to think from the mind of love in you about yourself, to source thoughts based in total connectedness and love about yourself. Not approval, oh, you're a good person, therefore you're lovable. You don't want to be lovable. <laughs> if you try being lovable, that's like shooting at the, the that, you know, hole over there on the left trying to win the $500. When you function as love, every behavior that has ever been admired will be the result naturally of your experience and expression. So that's one half of the journey. Taking time to cultivate your relationship with your awareness of yourself as love. And yes, deserving the approval, but recognizing that the approval isn't the love. When your physiology is fully fueled by conscious, active, present love, because you know who you are, everything changes. So that's one half of the journey. Take time every day, several times a day, to think thoughts from the mind of your true being, the mind of love, toward and about yourself and toward and about your body. Gee, there's a pain here. Oh, do you go around whining and crying and complaining about the pain? Or do you stop and literally, purposely extend love to that tissue? And unless you're in an environment where you need to explain to a healer what's going on for you, you don't verbalize 
that energy because to verbalize it is to strengthen it. And then the other half of the journey is a journey of applied forgiveness. Yeshua said of the self that most people think they are, that that self has to die. In order for you, love, to live, the you that you were taught you were by those who knew no better and wanted to beat the love out of you, that self has to be removed, forgiven. Remembering that the word forgive means to remove. It does not mean to let somebody else off the hook because there's something inside of you to be removed. When you start giving your mind accurate goals to achieve in regard to this conversation, then you'll make monumental progress toward experiencing yourself as conscious, active, present love. And that's basically what we're here to support you in doing. That's the whole objective of this work, is the serving up of the tools that support people really, truly reconnecting to and re-experiencing themselves as true human beings, as conscious, active, present love. So I hope that fits and makes sense, and I hope it opens some conversations, some questions, some refinements, and or anything else that's on your mind. If you're on a station where we can't see you on our control panel, our call number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show. We have a hand up. And if you have a question, push one, and we'll have a conversation. And we do have a hand up. And I think it's really cool. We have Yenka in the United Kingdom. We have Bob in Australia and me in the United States in the chat room. So I said we're covering the world in one little chat room. Technology is amazing. Cool. Is Peter with us from Sweden by any chance? No, he's not. Uh, Okay. Um, but the hand up is Miss Cecilia four eight zero. You are on the air. Hi. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, uh, Michael. Hey there, young lady. So <clears throat> I've been working on a lot to do with money and worksheets and writing letters to the buyer and all this kind of stuff. Okay. So I'm just going to continually work on it and happy to do so. Uh, yesterday I found a video, I'm not going to say who it's from on YouTube, but I sent it to you probably five minutes before the show. And I saw that, I yes, asked, thank you. Oh, did you read it, my text? I, I looked at it, yes, I haven't watched it yet, I hadn't had time, but I did see it come in. No, yes. that's and, okay. You know, we talk about Bruce Lipton all the time. Sure. He does some great and stuff, he's, he's great. Amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. So yeah. uh, he had somebody else that also spoke, spoke on that video, but... It was about um, the poor, why the poor get poorer because of the programming and why the rich get richer because of the programming. And you've got to be conscious and get out of the unconscious mind and, 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 and get into the con- be conscious and, and think, you know, and question your programming. And, um, and uh, then the other 
guest on his show that sounds like he's an expert in this too, started saying things. Well, of course, we go to school, we get programmed. We don't get programmed about money, but we get programmed to get a job and to work hard and to to find a job and to work for an employee and to pay taxes and to get out of debt and to – and then – uh, get savings and then get uh, and then put your savings and invest them and all of that he said and Bruce must agree with this because it's his video his name is on the video and with all of that he said um, not Bruce the other guy he said you will get poor doing that okay and it threw me that's what everything I was taught right so so uh, I know I worksheet 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 <laughs> but but uh i was trying to not figure out it was just this i would i didn't want to drop it and just not think about it but i i sat down i thought about it i transcribed the show it was eight minutes and it, which got it clearer and then i thought you know why they said all that is so that i disconnect from the source of all abundance. Okay, the world wants me to disconnect from who I am. So I have savings, then I'm just then I rely on savings as the source or investment as investment. I just want your take on it. So where are we heading? What what's the bottom line question we're heading toward? Because I'm kind of getting lost oh, okay. in the story. Oh sure. No, that's that's the transcription of the show. Um, so where I'm headed is I I saved and saved and saved and saved, and that's how, how I think that I'm, uh, I'm making it through. My house not selling, okay? Um, I, my father invested in some investments. Okay. So, 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 so I, got the, I got is, the story. What is the That's what, what I is want, it the with question. savings? What is it that with savings and investments that makes me poor? Poor in spirit? What is your thoughts on that? Because that was a big, huge thing that jumped off the page with me in that video. That if you have savings or investments, you you will get poor. Well, that. I'm not sure that is a – I haven't listened to the, the video, okay. so I can't comment directly on it. But it doesn't make sense to me because I know people who have savings and they're, you know, fairly wealthy. I know people have investments and they're poor. You know, people make poor investments and they lose savings sure. and they spend more money yeah. than they've got. There are all kinds of dynamics. But oh, the okay. underlying thing to me would be if I'm seeing myself heading toward – poverty in some way, then I want to start forgiving the content of that file, so to speak, in my mind on poverty. You know, what kind of thought disorder is behind that? You know, uh, oftentimes it's a power person message of, uh, you know, maybe something like you don't deserve abundance, you don't deserve wealth, or you're broken, you're not good enough, you'll never have anything. And so the person who buys into that kind of a thought disorder, all kinds of abundance heads in their direction, and they find a way to throw it away. They find a way to destroy it. So it might be, you know, you might do some worksheets around abundance and 
what would be some of the goals you have. You know, like for instance, have you canceled the need to have enough money to be able to afford your house there in Ohio and the house in in uh, Arizona? Have I canceled that the, might the be, goal to have enough money? To you might look house? at that as a goal. I, I'm just, you know, okay. bouncing suggestions off you of places you might go okay. To, okay. to to uncover if there's a part of your mind that's creating this result, if you're participating even on a subtle energy level, then you want to access that part of your mind and breathe it out. Bring it to the presence of love and let loose of it. And of course, the genius of what Yeshua gave us was that forgiveness process that when I look at the goal that I'm holding in any given circumstance, where my mind's producing this particular reality, when I cancel that goal, my mind's content collapses in on itself and it gives me access to the underlying energy that needs to be cleaned up. So that might be a direction to go, is just simply canceling the need to have enough money to afford both. And maybe the, the worksheets you need to do are around affording things. Maybe the worksheets you have to do are around poverty. Maybe the worksheets you have to do are around deserving. You know, I'm not sure exactly what's going on for you, but they might be some areas to explore and uh, and do some worksheets in those arenas and see what what surfaces from beneath. This morning I I also watched the – go ahead. Go, Go ahead. I watched Creating Consciously. I love the VHS, by the way. I can see you and I, I get a better, you know, visual and audio. Audio. Anyway, um, when you have said in the video that, that if you have, you know, uh, grumbling or something about paying bills, get rid of the electricity, you know. And I'm right. like, that's me. I'm grumbling about paying both of these houses and I don't want these I don't want both of these bills but I hear that so I got to be grateful for it and also grateful because it kills the telemara or whatever those enzymes and the and the DNA shortens your life telomeres telomeres yeah 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 and so I'm like the last thing in the world at this point when I heard that just over the weekend uh uh-uh no more I'm I'm not grumbling anymore. I'm just going to be grateful because the three things that keep you healthy are love for self, um, um, appreciation, gratitude. Actually, actually honoring self. Uh, And maybe you've picked some, you know, the the first half of this uh, today's show was refining the understanding of the word love. And I've got to own up to the fact that I used to use the word love the way I was taught, the way the culture teaches us, that love is something we do to each other. Yes. And so I deserve love. Well, if I think I deserve love, I just, I'm using the word in an off-base way. And so I'm going to need to clean that up. And, and I know some of my older materials use that word incorrectly. That's one of the reasons why I you know, brought that refinement up in the show earlier today. Okay. So the three things to not have that telomere, sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to say it right, Telomeres. and all that other stuff, yes, is, is, is number one, honor, you know, honoring yourself. Honoring yourself. 
So if you don't, that's then you're not going to get that that extra thing that comes on. I one of those. There's something. He has two names. It sounded like. But anyway, um, and then if you're not, you don't have great gratitude for uh, 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 what you don't have gratitude and appreciation. And for what you third, have. It's yeah. stress. Stress. Okay. So of course I have all of these things. You know, I do, I do appreciate, and I'm learning to honor myself and other people. So I felt good about that, and but the stress, and I'm working on that too. I'm doing the exercises for that in the intensive. Uh, so I uh, when I when I watched your video this morning, I'm like, well, I still don't have appreciation for paying those bills there, so I better just hurt right? <laughs> I have appreciation for them. So so uh, that's it. you're getting down to deeper, subtler yeah. levels of the work that you're working on. And when you get to the more refined yeah. thoughts, it takes uh-huh. a more refined awareness. Okay. And that's something that just takes time uh, to build the brain cells for that. Yes, okay. All right, I'll just be patient. I feel like I'm on a road. I'm, I, I believe in giving 2.5, if not more, hours a day to build my spiritual mm-hmm. body. Okay, and connect to my source. So, um, I don't know if you can. I appreciate that you took the time to listen to me. I know there's other listeners, so I, I just want to let you know. Thank you for everything. I'm not sure whether or not in the uh, in the workshop you're talking about the on creating consciously workshop, whether or not I shared the moment where. I moved, you know, the first seven years I did this work, basically I lived in poverty. I didn't know where my next meal was coming from. Sometimes I didn't know where I was going to, how I was going to feed my kids. Yes, I heard that. And so did I talk about how I'm driving down I-95 in Florida? Yeah, you got a message to go back. You were going to go home because your furnace blew or something, or you couldn't go home. So, and then you went back to Florida again. And then uh, you did that exercise with the money, with the people there about exchanging their dollar bill and see what comes up for everybody. But the bottom line was, yeah, okay. the, the bottom line resolution of that seven years of poverty doing this work was, I'm and like I, I know exactly where I was on the physical earth when this happened. I'm driving down 995. I'm at Hillsborough Boulevard, and I'm I've got I forget something like twenty dollars in my pocket, and I'm supposed to get in the car the next day and drive back to North Georgia with my kids, and I'm told, pardon me, I had $100 in my pocket, and I'm told to get off, I'm intuitively, this is inside, I get the guidance to get off the highway, go to a bank, and change the $100 that I had in my pocket into a $100 bill, and give it away in the workshop that night. To which my mind replied, are you crazy? (laughs) I can't even put gas in the car to get my kids back and and put food in the Mm -hmm. fridge. Mm -hmm. But I followed the guidance and I gave. And the next, you know, 
as it turned out, the next day I borrowed money from the person we're staying with, and I'm, you know, heading back up to North Georgia. I go up to start the car, and people are saying, well, Michael, you know, you've only been here a few weeks. You've got things started. We want you to stay. We want you to do workshops. It's like, no, I've got to get back to the home I've rented in North Georgia. And I go, I load the car. We put the kids in the car. I go to start the car, and for the first time in about 60,000 miles at that point, I turn the key, and absolutely nothing happens with the car. And I took that as a sign and said, okay, I'm going to stay here. And the next week, I literally had a full-time practice where I made three times what I'd ever made in any week doing this work in the previous seven years. And start, I had started doing it full-time. And it's never dropped beneath that. But the key yeah. was, am, am I, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I don't remember who it was that said it, but... The universe gives back to you through the hole that you give through. So if when you give, it's, you know, sparse, little, as little as possible, there's no generosity in it, then that creates an opening and the universe says, okay, I'll give back to you, sparse, and, you know, there's no generosity in it. When you open your mind to literally generous abundance to what supports you, then the universe goes, oh, I can give back through that hole? Okay. Then things start to show up in a different way. That was my experience out of, you know, the first seven years of doing this work and, and living literally hand to mouth. And the core of what, what changed that for me was that I had been brought up in churchianity and I was brought up with a belief that if you're going to do spiritual work, you have to live in poverty. That ultimately was what I needed to work through in order to change that. And I mean, literally, to the minute, to the mile, I know where I was on the highway, and that whole thing. I mean, everybody around me changed when mm -hmm. I did mm -hmm. that particular piece of work. I don't know exactly what the piece of work is you need to do to make this whole circumstance shift for you. Right. But that's the, the controlling energy of how things show up in our lives would be my offering. What is the controlling energy? You're clearing it out? What, what's, what's the mind energy that I live in, you know, in, in regard to any particular issue, if it's about receiving, what's the energy that I give with? And that I need to reach into the deepest parts of me heal and heal any mind energy that inhibits generosity and abundance in me. You know, because if that's inhibited, then I'm sending out a message to the universe of, you've got to keep me in poverty. I did that exercise on creating consciously about your parents come and see you living in poverty and your right. parents and your neighbors, and then that's they powerful, see a mediocre, and then, and then yes, it is. Right. But this time I did it. I welcomed them in and I said, I love you. I understand you have the same mind energy as me, but you know, um, you know, but we all, we all just, it's, we're all connected to the same source and we're all creative beings and, and live in, and live in the energy of abundance, you know? And so whatever I said, I said, uh, I'm so happy to give you a Mercedes and, and la la la. And this is, and I understand I have so much compassion for, you being a workaholic, you know, because you had so much fear, you know, and, 
and you were weren't working at all, and so it just you're you're you were just going you know uh, reactive, you know, and and I don't take it, I don't take it in, and you weren't responsible for me taking it in, and yada yada. I went through everything, and I felt like I sent so much love to them, you know, and I and you didn't tell me tell me to do that in the video, and so. And I did it the other way many and many, many other times, many years, and, and you know. And so uh, I think they're both, that they're both very healing. But this was so incredibly cool because I had the insight to see if the past ones were all horrible negative reactions. And then this was just, right. they just wanted to listen. To so me. one of the and purposes... Yes. And one of the purposes of that exercise is like a mind shifter. It's it, yes. use it in order to look at what's the underlying energy. And so each of the things that you just mentioned would be things that you'd want to do worksheets on. Okay. Okay. So take okay. take everything that surfaced for you in that. You know, gee, I remember when I was so resentful of you, and now I can offer love. But I need to go in. So that's half of it is bringing forward the presence of love and offering. Okay. The other half is the forgiveness of that resentment and what was beneath that. What's the mind energy is held from there? So there's your there's a okay. using that exercise like a mind shifter look at everything yeah. that comes up all of the indicators okay. that say there's some kind of limitation some sort of hostility or fear and forgive as to that hostility or fear and you're on track okay cool uh, i feel like well, we'll be track. holding a space young lady all right thanks again okay take care blessings bye-bye all right. and i'll look forward to watching that bruce lifton video thanks yes please okay all righty thanks bye-bye bye. All right, Ms. Jeannie, we've got about six minutes left. By the way, speaking of Bruce Lipton, and I haven't told this story in quite a while on the show. I have told it previously, but uh, it was fun. I was out in Boulder, Colorado, speaking at a, a conference there. And a woman came up to me uh, who had been worked with me in Florida some years before. And pardon me, I've, I've got that story mixed up. Bruce Lipton went to a university in Colorado where a woman I'd worked with in Florida was going to school, and she gave him a copy of my book, told me about it, and as a result of that, I picked up the phone and called him. And when I got Bruce on the phone, just, you know, the coincidental energy of it was he was sitting reading my book as the phone rang and he answered it. I introduced myself. Said, oh, yeah, I'm sitting here reading your book. <laughs> so there's a, there are a lot of parallels. Anything you can watch of Bruce Lipton is awesome, and uh, it will augment the journey totally and completely uh, that you're making with this work. So, And he's got lots of stuff on, on YouTube. So, Ms. Jeannie, we've got about five, maybe four minutes. Do we have another hand um, up? No, nobody has a hand up, but um, I had a question. Wasn't it uh, after you did the television thing with Ruben? You know, that's and, right, and, yes. And he said you're doing the same thing as Bruce, but then the lady had given Bruce your book, so it's kind of right. another piece to it. Yeah, I actually missed a piece out of it, yes. I was doing a television interview in New York, and the guy had told me, 
that he'd done an interview with Bruce Lipton the week before. Actually, he was the one that gave me the phone number to reach Bruce. He'd been in touch with him as a producer. And totally separate situation, this university, uh, this girl was in the University in Boulder, gave him a copy of the book. And when I called as a result of the interview in New York, Bruce was reading my book. That was a coincidence of it, yes. It's been a few years. But yes, thank you for catching that. Yeah, that's right on track. It definitely makes the story more uh, more meaningful when those two yeah, pieces adds come together. Yeah, adds another depth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Resonance. Resonance. Well, if there's nobody with a hand up, then I'm going to throw out another thought. You know, we did the uh, chapter five in from Why Is This Happening to Me Again on the Hear My Voice book club. Uh, did you get that email from me, by the way, with the link, sweetie? I did, but I haven't put it on the site yet. Okay. Well, it'll be on the site in the next day or two. And uh, in that uh, workshop yesterday, when we're doing the book study, the topic of intuition came up, and I shared a little bit about our intuitive development intensive. And several people on the call from different parts of the world uh, expressed an interest in doing an online intuitive development intensive. So if you're interested in that, there were enough people that I'm considering setting one up. It will probably be a 10-week session. It will include the pre and post personal code evaluation. It will include why is this happening to me again? And then the, the practical online intuitive development will also include the Fresh and Raw Food Program, private links, and, uh, and um, menu set for the Fresh and Raw Food that goes along with the intensive. So if you're interested in joining us for that, it will probably be a Saturday and Sunday. We'll do a session on a Saturday and a Sunday for 10 weeks consecutively. If you're interested in joining us, and drop Jeannie a note, or if you've got my number, drop me a note. Uh, Jeannie's email, W-H-Y, or pardon me, is Jeannie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at W-H-Y-Again.org. If you drop her a note with your name and phone number and that you're interested, then as the uh, plan comes together, if it uh, falls in place, then I'll let you know and you can register for it. And if you're interested in an intuitive development intensive that includes the forgiveness work of why is this happening to me again, drop Jeannie a note. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.